So I was a product of the late 70s and 80s. That's when, I, that's when my teen years were, my, my developmental years. And during that time, there seemed to be an overabundance of what we would call televangelists. Anybody else grow up in the 80s and remember? Yeah, five of you grew up in the 80s. The rest of you are younger or older, but... Um, and while many of them were legitimate and did some amazing things in the name of Jesus, um, a lot of the names at that time that were swirling around seemed to me to be a bit off. There wasn't much substance, and there seemed to be a whole lot of show. And that is a lot coming from me, because if you know me, I really like a good show. But this was a show when a show just wasn't appropriate, <laughs> This was a show when you needed um, authenticity and transparency and humility and truth. A lot of them, too, it seemed like a lot of them were doing healings on on their shows. And I remember one in particular, I will never forget. He would yell out, he would bring people up and he he would yell, get the nicotine out. And he would hit them on the head with the heel of his hand, with the palm of his hand, and they would like flail to the floor. And I guess everybody at that time must have had a smoking addiction because he said, get the nicotine out over and over and over again. And I kept wondering, how does he even know? Because I never even saw them tell him what their problem was, but maybe he was just assuming it was all nicotine. And it felt to me like, why are they filming this? Like, it, it felt like this should be something that was like a, a private moment between God and the person needing to be healed and, and the one healing them and maybe family and friends and not something that should be televised for the whole world to see. And, and it was like they were in a line, one right after the other. And it kind of, even as a kid, made me feel a little sick. And as I watched it, I felt like it was way more about them than it was about Jesus. I felt like the spotlight was on the personality on the screen and not the Savior in heaven. And then as time went on, we found out a lot of them were not who they said they were. A lot of them were frauds. They were, they were taking money from people, vulnerable people. They, they were doing immoral things. They were making false claims. And somehow my young mind then associated them and their healing with lies and deceit. That it wasn't real and it never could be. They were part of my credibility gap with the church and with Christians. And it made me doubt that healing or deliverance of any kind could be real or even happen at all. I had a sense from that time on that those types of healings could only occur in in the Bible, in the time of Jesus. But it wasn't anything that could actually take place today. It made me distrust them, and in turn, it made me distrust Jesus. And there are many in this room and, and watching online today that would actually take that a step further and say it wasn't only distrust but they suffered abuse at the hands of some of these people as people forced their healing touch upon them. But as we continue in our series today, how it started, how it's going, we're going to see that healing in the name of Jesus was very real, 
when the church started, and it is very real today. This whole series is focused on the book of Acts, and Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, one of the earliest accounts of Jesus' life and ministry, and he continued the story with the book of Acts. Luke really followed the whole length and breadth of Jesus' life. In Luke, it's an account of Jesus' ministry on earth, and it's at, in Acts is what Jesus continued to do after his resurrection. And the book of Acts begins the, with the di- disciples hanging out with Jesus and continuing to learn from him about his upside-down kingdom. Then Jesus tells them, stay here in Jerusalem until you receive a new kind of power. And once you receive that power, then I want you to begin here in Jerusalem and then move into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, as he instructs them in Acts chapter 1. Then they see Jesus enthroned as king, and they wait, like he told them. And the Pentecost happens and the fire comes, the Holy Spirit, and makes them into these mobile temples where God now dwells. Many Jesuses, so to speak, many, M-I-N-I. The temple of Jesus is not a building or a structure. The temple of Jesus begins with his people, all depending on each other. And the book of Acts makes it clear that nothing And no one can stop the kingdom of God. Then and now, when I read the book of Acts, I am always overwhelmed that we are still a part of that history. That what started with the the coming of the Holy Spirit and the healings and the thousands coming to salvation and Paul's conversion, we are still a part of that history. And we are to continue that history. And where we pick up the story today in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are just coming off of the Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit, and they must be reeling. Can you imagine? I mean, there was fire. And what they've discovered up to this point, as Barry, our senior pastor, pointed out to us last week, and that still applies to us today, is that the Spirit is real, the Spirit is powerful. And through the Spirit, we can continue to bring healing and restoration to this broken world, even as we are being restored and healed in the process. And we, Grace Church, need to be prepared for the movement of the Spirit as we continue to move into this broken world and as God continues to bring that brokenness to us. And now we're going to continue as we look at what happened starting in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to go all the way through to almost the end of chapter 4. So you can turn to page 907 if you're going to get the Bibles here in the room. They're back. The Bibles are back. They're in the room. So you can grab one from the seat back in front of you, page 907. Or you can go to the app and find it. If you're at home, uh, grab a Bible. And if you're at home, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for joining us online. And there are really four parts to this story. It's a lengthy story. There's four parts. Healing, preaching, persecution, and courage. And let's start with part one, the healing. Starting chapter three, verse one. 
Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently. Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's, Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Stop there for a minute. We were told in chapter 2 of Acts that we were going to see many signs and wonders that were going to be done through the disciples. And right away, right away in chapter 3, the first, first verse, we're seeing an example of this. Immediately, signs and wonders. So this... This lame man, he just, he just wanted to be supported in what was going on in his life. He just wanted to be sustained in the life that he was living. He just wanted silver and gold to survive his condition. But what he truly needed and what he truly got through the Holy Spirit in Peter was complete transformation. As always, God had something better in mind. And Peter looks him intently in the eyes. And he said, I don't, I don't have money. I don't have silver or gold, but I do have the authority in the name of Jesus to heal you. You see, I don't think silver and gold matter to Jesus. I don't think money matters to him. But his people, the church, doing his work in his name, I think that matters a lot to Jesus. And Peter knew he could do this. Why? Because he'd been trained. He'd been trained by his rabbi. In Luke 9, it says, One day, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons, to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Tell them about the kingdom and heal. They go together. They wanted to transform this man's life by the power of the risen Jesus, just like Jesus had taught them to do. It's not the church's business in this world to simply make the present condition more bearable. The task of the church is to release here on earth the redemptive work of God in Christ. Peter and John didn't want his life to just be more bearable. They wanted it to be transformed Peter gave this man power in the name of Jesus, but only because Peter already had that power in his own life. Healing can't and shouldn't be done outside that power. Peter knew that. 
And then Peter, being filled at that moment with the gift of faith, took the man's hand and lifted him to his feet. This wasn't something Peter did on a whim as a promotional event. He did it under the specific prompting of the Holy Spirit. God gave Peter the supernatural ability to trust him for something completely out of the ordinary. And then this man, he does three things. He attaches himself to the apostles, entered the temple with them. He immediately started to use what God had given him, walking and leaping. And he began to praise and worship God. Healing should always lead to praise and worship of the true healer. Okay, so that just, that just happened. I'm sure Peter and John themselves are stunned at what the Holy Spirit just did through them. And now there's a crowd. Of course there's a crowd. There's a crowd that has gathered around what is happening. And so Peter takes this opportunity. He sees the crowd, gathering crowd and he knows it's not about him. And he wants to put the glory where it should be. So he sees the opportunity to share the good news, the gospel, right now. So the second part of the story, the preaching. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Right away, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by opening with this reference to God, Peter made it clear that he spoke to them about the God of Israel, the God represented in the Hebrew scriptures that they're familiar with. Skip down to verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Then verse 19. Now repent. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. So this testimony could have happened in this moment from the healed man. He's right there. But Peter sees the gathering crowd and knows this is an opportunity to turn it to Jesus, to bring people to salvation, to share the good news. The man doesn't know enough yet to share that yet. So Peter seizes the opportunity. The healing is a way to lead people to salvation in Jesus. The healing in itself is not the answer. Jesus is always the answer. And unlike some of the healers that I used to see on TV that gave the impression that healing happened because they were so spiritual or so close to God or so godly, Peter knew that it was all about Jesus, nothing of him. It was the Holy Spirit, and this sermon is all about that. Verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. When God's people do good in this world, really do good, they do it through faith in his name. The temptation is always to trust in something or someone else, to trust in our good intentions or our talents or gifts or material resources or reputation and prior success or our hard work or how smart we are. 
Instead, we must always trust and do good things through faith in his name. And then Peter calls them to repentance. The healing had a greater power to point the healed and everyone around him toward Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, this is not going to go over well with the religious leaders. Part three, persecution. So starting in the first verse of uh, Acts chapter 4, we see that the religious leaders arrest Peter and John. Of course they do. Of course they do. They thought it was over. They thought they did their job. They got rid of Jesus. But they're seeing that what Jesus started is being continued through his followers. And although there was still a lot of opposition to Christianity from lots of different groups at this time, the gospel was continuing to spread and grow. And the leaders were scared of this. The kingdom could not be stopped. So they demand to know in whose name and through whose power have Peter and John done this healing. So Peter, in verse 8, Peter, the most unlikely to be doing this, in verse 8 says, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus had told his followers that the Spirit would give them the words to say when they needed them. And two times in this story alone, Peter, the most unlikely public speaker, had the words to say. He refers to Psalm 118.22 when describing Jesus as the cornerstone or the capstone that they, the builders of the entire nation of Israel, had rejected Jesus himself referred to himself using that same quotation in Luke 20, 17. Again, the followers of Jesus doing and saying what they had learned from their teacher, from Jesus. So the members are amazed by the boldness of Peter. They couldn't deny the healing. They couldn't. Thousands had seen it. What could they do? So they ask Peter and John to leave the room so that they can confer. Verse 15, they conferred among themselves. And in one of the commentaries I read uh, that said the reason that Luke knew what they had conferred about in that room was because one of the Sanhedrin would end up was Paul. And he had told him later after his conversion what had taken place in that room. So Peter and John were very likely preaching in that moment to Paul, one of the greatest missionaries of all time, And they were part of his conversion story. After conferring, they ordered the men to never speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. And Peter and John said in verse 19, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The leaders tried to threaten them more, but ended up letting them go. Because the people had seen the miracle. In verse 21, for everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Going to be honest, the situation started out looking kind of bad for Peter and John. 
I mean, there they were, arrested on trial before the same court that sent Jesus to Pilate to be crucified. This was all meant for evil, but when it was all over, look at what God did. 2,000 more people came to believe in Jesus. Peter got to preach Jesus to the leaders of the Jews. Peter and John were bolder for Jesus than ever before, and God was glorified. Which leads to part four, courage. In chapter four, verse 23, Peter and John return to the other believers and tell them what had happened with the leading priests and the elders. And immediately the whole group of believers, they, they lift their voices together in prayer. Quoting God's words through David long ago from Psalm 2, they say, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. They realize that these words are still holding true. They were still battling against the Lord and the Lord's people. And so they prayed for courage in the midst of this persecution. Verse 29, they say, And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They wanted to continue moving into the brokenness, to continue what Jesus had taught them, to heal the world in his name And isn't that what we still want today? Isn't that what we still want today? And then in verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. They are again filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the third time In the book of Acts that it says that Peter has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Being immersed in the Spirit is something that we continually do. Yes, we receive the Holy Spirit when we surrender our lives just as they did at Pentecost. But there is a continual renewing of the Spirit. Asking for his teaching and prompting and guidance. His empowerment. Asking for reminders when we need the Spirit for specific things. In this case for them, boldness and courage. Jesus said this to them in John 14, 26, and he says this to us. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. The Spirit was with them. The room shook, and they went boldly and preached the word. The story has it all. Healing, preaching, persecution, courage. Luke must have been astonished at all he was seeing as it unfolded. But what does this mean for us, for you and me, for, for me, the product of the, of the healings that I saw that actually made me distrust in Christians and the church? We're part of this history We're a continuation of this story. We're an extension of the narrative. The spirit that was given to them is available to us. The power that the spirit gave them is our power as well. 
If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you have that power right now. And if you haven't, guess what? It's available to you. The Spirit is real. The Spirit is powerful. Through the Spirit, we can heal and restore a broken world even as we are being healed and restored in the process. And I'll take it one step forward. forward the Spirit, through the Spirit, we have power to bring healing in the name of Jesus. We have the same firepower that Peter and John and the early believers did. Are we going to access it and put it to use? Are we going to restore this broken world through that power? I know to some of you, this sounds maybe a little, a little crazy or a little scary. But that's what they thought about Peter and John too. I know you think that it can't happen, but I'm here to tell you it can. And I know this for certain now because I saw it and experienced it just a few weeks ago. Of course I did because that's how God works. And he gave me this gift three weeks ago because he knew that this was the passage I'd be speaking about today. So it was three weeks ago, and it was right before the five o'clock service. And this is a a deliverance and healing story. And a a man showed up, um, could barely walk. He He was sitting in a wheelchair. He wasn't speaking. His girlfriend had brought him here because she went to Grace years ago. And she knew he needed to be delivered from an evil spirit. And she knew that Grace would be a safe place to bring, them, bring him. She doesn't even live here anymore. They were here. Um, I don't know what they were doing here, but they were in town. And so they show up, and they're outside the east doors. And I think they encountered William first. And uh, everyone that knows William, he's a good one to encounter first because he's going to get you to the people that you need. And uh, a couple of our pastors were on that weekend, but they were working services. And this is about 20 minutes before service starts. So Tyler gets called out, Tyler Bender, and uh, he prays over the man in, in that moment. And the man actually vomited as Tyler was praying for him. But Tyler had to go do service. And so he texts our lead team and says, is anyone close? And I'm like, oh, I'm close. I probably have to go. And it's not that I didn't want to go, but, you know, I had that whole experience in the 80s. So I'd never done this before. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew I had to go. And I also hadn't showered because I was getting ready for a grad party. So I had Annie, my daughter, who's graduating, in the car with me. We're on our way to Walmart, and I'm like, I got to stop at church for a deliverance. She's like, okay. Um, So I'm like, just stay in the car. I don't know how this is going to go. So I'm walking in thinking, oh, who should be here? Who who should be here? I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. And I walk in and immediately I'm, I'm greeted with the people that I would have asked to be there. The people that I knew had, were part of our prayer ministry. Um, They were elders and they're standing there and I'm like, Oh, okay. So, so this is happening and you knew who we needed and they're here because this, this, you don't do this alone. And there was one person in particular that I knew had been part of deliverances with, with Dave Rod, our, our uh, former senior pastor. And so I say, is, we've already called her. They knew exactly who needed to be called. Now, she'd never done this on her own. She'd been part of it. But she shows up, 
And there we are standing there. Now, they had since brought the, the young man and his girlfriend into the service. So they were sitting in service, and we're all out there, two elders, one of the elders' husbands, or three elders, one of the elders' husbands, myself, and we're standing there going, okay, what are we going to do? How are we, how are we going to do this? When it, where should we do this? When, it, when should we? And lots of times, as I've come to find out, uh, find out deliverance is scheduled. So you have all the right people in the room, and you have all the gifts represented, and and, and yet I looked at this hodgepodge group that God brought together and all the gifts were there. Discernment, wisdom, healing, mercy, uh, all of them were present in, in the people that were standing right there. So they were resonating with the message, so they stayed in the service. And then as soon as the message was over and we went into the last song, they brought them out. We made the decision to go outside. And so we went outside. The door is right out here. And we just put our hands on them. And one of our elders who had been with Dave Rod just looked at him. She kept saying to him, because he, he, he had not spoken yet. She said, look at me intently in the eyes, just like Peter and John. Look at me, she said. And she said, I can't, you can't say it for him to the girlfriend. And she said, what do you want? She kept calling him by name. I won't say his name because I don't think I need to. She kept calling him by name. She said, what do you want? You can't do it for him. What do you want? And he said, I want to be free. Those were the first words that he spoke. I want to be free. And she, like a rock star, kept calling that spirit out of him in the name of Jesus over and over and over with authority. It was like an out-of-body experience. And I was standing there. I'm watching the body of Christ. You all doing this. I'm just standing there as a pastor supporting it was the most beautiful thing I've ever been a part of and the scariest thing I've ever been a part of. And I was, had my hand on his back and I was praying, release, 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 release. Release him from the spirit and release me from my doubts. Because all that history was coming with me and I was getting in the way. I did not want to be in the way of what the spirit wanted to do. So I just kept praying that over and over. And he is now laughing and it was not a pretty laugh. It was, my daughter could hear it from the car. She was off in the parking lot with windows down and she could hear it. And it was frightening and it was right there. And, and Amy, sorry. And they just kept calling it out and calling it out and calling it out. And kept saying, look at me, because he kept putting his head down, and, and, and they kept making him look, look at her, look at her, look at her. And then finally, he said, it's in my throat. And so hand on his throat and kept calling it out. And then she said to the rest of us, sing. Well, you would think I would know a song at that point, wouldn't you? No, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer this whole group. I am like, I don't know any tunes. I don't know a song, but the other elder standing next to me just starts singing. And we wind up with awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. And we just start singing it over and over and over and over. And finally he convulses and starts sobbing. And he looks up and I can tell by the expression on the face of the elder that had been praying for him, it was over. His eyes were clear. It was out and he was a different person. And what, yeah. And what happened next was preaching because the next words were, do you want to surrender your life to Jesus? The healing led to surrender and to salvation. And he gave his life to Jesus. He mumbled the words quietly in her ear as she prayed the prayer of salvation with that man. And then he stood up 
And he looked each one of us in the eye and hugged us and then went on his way. It was the most powerful thing that I have ever been a part of. And it had all of it, healing, preaching, persecution. I'm sure there are people that think how did, that, that didn't happen, but it did, and I saw it. And it took courage on everyone's part, everyone's part, particularly the elder that prayed it through. And I thought to myself as I was praying my doubts away, has my lack of faith and trust, my lack of courage and boldness ever gotten in the way in the past of healing that should have taken place? I learned some things that day. You don't do it alone. You don't do it alone. You always have people with different gifts, the body of Christ surrounding you, and God gave us exactly who we needed. And yes, there is power, but love is equally as important. You must deeply love the person that you are in the midst of delivering or healing. They're like your child as you are calling that out of them. And again, the focus is always on Jesus. It's never about you. It's never about anyone in that circle. And remember, this came after Peter and John had spent years learning from and watching Jesus. It happened because they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. You can't do this healing of any type unless you are continually renewing yourself in the Spirit, always aware of his presence and sensing and looking for his promptings, constantly in relationship with Jesus, listening, learning from him, being trained by him. We have been called to heal and restore broken places, but it all points back to the most important broken place in this world, and that's separation between God and man. All of the healing that occurs should always point back to Jesus. And sometimes, as I've seen many times over in my life, the physical healing will not occur. And I don't know why that is. It's a mystery to me why some are and some aren't, but I'll tell you this. As I have watched some of my friends that have battled physical healing, as I have watched them open-palmed accept what is going on in their lives, I have watched transformation like I have never seen before in their lives and in the lives around them. There has been beauty in transformation and people coming to salvation through their non-healing as well. The most important healing is the healing of the soul. It should always glorify him. It should always lead people to him. And the truest, most important healing is restoring people to Jesus and his love, healing their hearts and restoring their souls. I don't think that the deliverance, it wouldn't have been anything if he hadn't surrendered his life to Jesus at the end of it. He has to have that spirit, that Holy Spirit, that faith in his life in order to go forward. So this song's been running through my head all week as I've been preparing for this message. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Oh, there is power. You can sing it with me. In the name of Jesus. What's the next part? To break every chain. Do you sing break every chain? Break every chain. Can we believe that, Grace Church? 
The next words are, there's an army rising up. Can we be that army breaking the chains of separation and isolation and injustice and decay and hatred and pain with the healing love of Jesus? John 14, 12, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works, even greater works because I'm going to be with my father. Can we do greater works? In the name of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, with power and love, together as the body of Christ. Through the Spirit, we have power to bring healing in the name of Jesus. There is a desperate world, a broken world, waiting for us to show up. Waiting for us to show up. Waiting for us to look them in the eye with the love of Jesus and say to them, in the name of Jesus, and only in the name of Jesus, and through his spirit, you, my friend, are healed. Let's pray. And Lord, there is a world that is so desperate to be healed, to be restored to you, to be reconciled to you, to be surrendered to you. And we have that power in love to bring that healing to them, to bring that restoration to them, to bring that reconciliation to them. Give us boldness and courage, just as you did Peter and John, just as you did the first believers in the book of Acts. Give us that courage, that boldness to continue the story that started in Acts, to continue being the church to this world that is not afraid of your power, but taps into it with a deep level of awe and humility and love. May we bring healing in your name to this world. And may you always get the honor and glory. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.